0: listening to the Denver
1: Real Estate Investing podcast brought to you by the Envision Advisors
0: at Your Castle Real Estate. What's up Denver? Chris Lopez here. And if you're a landlord, you've dealt with this issue. If you're not a landlord yet, you will deal with this issue. It's electrical work at your properties. So today's podcast will cover five common things that investors should be aware of when it comes to electrical work on your properties. And our guest and expert is Lance Padilla. He's been doing electrical work around Denver for about 17 years now, done everything from you know three bedroom places up to 70 apartment buildings. So great resource, and he's going to talk about the five things. Lance, glad to have you on the show. So start off um, and give us all a quick background on how you got into electrical work. Um, it really a family thing.
1: Um, I started with a company here in Denver, did a two-year apprenticeship, got licensed, moved on to another company, and eventually went on my own, partnered
0: up with my brother, and here we are today. All right. And so just jumping into the five things, uh, I know the first thing you put down was just GFI outlets. Um, what are GFI outlets and why why should I care as an investor? What should I know about them is the correct question.
1: GFIs are extremely important. They're required in all wet locations. Um, you know, if, if you've ever seen a a movie where someone's thrown in, say, a toaster into a bathtub, oh yeah, you, you want that thing to trip. You don't want to be, be in a pool full of electricity.
0: So if there's a GFI, it won't get electrocuted. The person will get electrocuted, right?
1: Yes, because in theory, the GFI is supposed to trip once it senses water. So if it senses water, it trips, everything is safe. So you, you really want them kitchens, bathrooms, garages, outdoors, anything wet location.
0: Okay. And is that, I mean, obviously that's a, a safety thing. Um, and when I'm buying a property, I mean, hey, a property is from the know, 1950s. They don't have them. Like, what how, What does that impact me to make sure that the property is safe for uh, tenants or, you know, our clients to live in? And what's the code, you know, what's the code requirements?
1: So, so mainly we'll base this off the code requirements. Okay. So your code requ- requirements are every wet location, even if the house is built in 1940, 1960, and you don't have one that's that's totally fine that's why we have them today at home depot we can go pick one up and put it in your bathroom your kitchen your garage or the outdoor location
0: okay because i mean that definitely comes up on spectrum reports you know there's almost always a gfi that doesn't work or there should be a gfi there so when people see that on um they hey i have to replace put three gfis in there like what's the labor like that what's the cost and how big of a job is it
1: I mean, labor wise, it it just depends. Really, really, who who you're calling? Every, everyone bases these prices off their own their own knowledge. Um, the part itself, the part's really cheap. It's eighteen dollars. Um, if it's a whole circuit that you need to GFI protect, you want to get a breaker, and it's fifty five dollars, um, and you can protect that whole that whole circuit.
0: Okay. And so if someone has a house and they need install a couple of GFI outlets, that uh, sounds like a few hundred dollars, depending on a few things, but not a huge electrical overhaul.
1: No. Okay. No, it's it's definitely reasonable.
0: And do GFIs, once they're in there, do they have like a certain lifespan?
1: You're, you're looking somewhere from seven to 12 years. And the reason is because the comp- components inside that GFI, they're sensitive to what we call SAGs which you get from Excel, um, rolling blackouts. We don't get a lot of them here in Denver, Mm -hmm. but power outages. And one thing that we do get here is we have some severe weather. So lightning strikes, surges, those will damage your your GFIs just like they will a computer.
0: So, okay, I mean, for example, so the house I live in was built 21 years ago and I bought it four or five years ago. You know, there's GFIs around there, but they're 20 years old. So, I mean... How, how do you test them? Should I replace them? Because I've never heard of, you know, that they have a 10-year so, lifespan.
1: So there's a test button on the GFI. And you, you're required to test those monthly just to make sure that that GFI is working. If you don't test it, how do you know if it's working properly? Do
0: you test the ones monthly in your home every month? I do not. Okay. <laughs> <I'm> saying, okay. <laughs> anyway. But, um, okay. So if I test it and it works, does that mean I'm good to go? Yep. Okay. Yep. So great. As long as that works, we're good to go. All right. So GFIs, I know of a few photos up here, um, that are a burn GFI outlet. Talk to us about this situation and just for listeners on here, we'll describe it and they'll be in the show notes as well. But Lance brought us some photos.
1: This one's, this one's a f- funny story. It was for a homeowner who installed a bunch of Christmas lights on it last year. Um, so we, I mean, string after string after string of led lights and a lot of the blow up little snowmen yep you know and it it that gfi it it looks newer it it looks like it was maybe four or five years old but it got it got overloaded it it wasn't due to a wet a wet problem this this was an overload for sure and you can see that on the back of the gfi because because that thing is just completely burnt
0: oh it's all black yeah. Yeah. Okay. So when that happens, I'll say that's not a good thing. No. Um, all right. So I know one of the things that um, has happened, this happened in my properties. Um, tenants like to add AC units in the summer and space heaters in the winter, which are you know often electrical. They draw a huge amount of power and they trip breakers. Um, so the second thing to keep in mind is off properties how do you handle those situations and what do you do when that happens
1: what one of the biggest things is is you have to understand the window window ac units or even the portable ones that roll around those things are drawn about 1800 watts so in order to figure out just quick calculation you take the wattage you divide it by 120 volts that'll give you your amperage if you're if you're at that high you're 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 not good on a 15-amp circuit, which, which is your standard living room, bedroom circuit is 15 amps.
0: Okay, so I want to actually, so tell me this math. So they draw 1,800 watts divided by what? 120 volts. 120 volts. So that gives 15. So that means the AC units drawing 15 amps. Yep. Which is the max load of the breaker? Yep. Okay.
1: So so if if you have a dedicated 20-amp circuit for it, you're good to go. And, and that's not just for, for, uh, portable ACs or window units. It's also for space heaters. One of my biggest calls in the winter is, is office buildings or even homes because of space heaters. You know, you, you have a, have an extension cord that's coiled up underneath a desk chair or something like that, that wire's heating up. It's eventually going to melt. It's going to burn. Something's going to trip. You call me.
0: okay? And so like, how do you like, how can a landlord be? proactive about this or, or is there anything they can do
1: one thing is is especially if you if you purchase the property and you want to install something like this yourself definitely get an electrician out there to make sure that you have the correct wiring for it um, if if the building does not already have it or or the home doesn't already have it you want you want to make sure that that it's good to go so you can ins- get one installed you know just call any electrician and just keep in mind most of this stuff is you want a 20 amp circuit for it and everything in a house or
0: apartment if it isn't kitchen or bathroom it's probably only a 15 amp circuit okay so non-kitchens and bathrooms are 15 amps kitchens and bathrooms are 20 amps then yeah okay and that's just all the extra load they take Yep. all right so i mean so that makes sense so if um, a landlord comes in or an investor comes in buys a property wants to install a couple units they can plan the uh, panels accordingly. Now, what happens though, I guess it's hard for landlords to keep tenants from not doing that, but that's just something landlords be mindful of and talk to tenants or put it in the lease and understand, hey, if you put it in here, talk to me first. Like what are, or is that the best proactiveness a landlord can do?
1: That That's the best proactive that you, you can do because you could tell someone not to do it, but we're all humans. Oh yeah. They're going to do it. If someone's going to get cold They're gonna get a heater if they're hot they're gonna get an an ac so i mean i i would just i'd do it from the get-go i mean you're better off to have it done or at least prepared for for an ac because it does get hot here in denver oh yeah most places are gonna have a furnace or a boiler system where you're gonna stay pretty cozy you know in the winter months um i i would be proactive about it and just get it done as soon as you purchase the building.
0: And so is that replacing all the circuits in the entire house then, or just in like the no much easier than that.
1: Just you just need a dedicated circuit. Okay. From from the panel to wherever the location of the window unit's gonna be, or where you think a portable unit would
0: be. Okay. Um so you have to do a little mind reading there where you think a tenant may do it. Yes. Okay.
1: Yes. I mean with you know, bedrooms. I I would do it mainly in the living rooms for an AC you know, especially for, for a window unit, you know, portables, it's really tough to tell where they're going to put it and and where to put that circuit, but definitely, definitely for a window unit, just have one by the window ready for it.
0: So, I mean, what's like just a ballpark cost for, if you're able to give that, just, I I know there's a lot of variables, but just kind of give me and our listeners an idea of like, Hey, something like this here, here's what it costs. Is it a few hundred bucks, a few thousand bucks can be just a ballpark like that.
1: I would I'd put you somewhere in between three hundred to fifteen hundred. Okay. Um, it all depends on on the amount of material that you're purchasing. If if it's close to the electrical panel, you're looking at the lower end of things. But that thing's if the electrical panel's on the other side of the building, you got a lot of conduit to run
0: okay. and a lot of wire to push. All right. So um, that's great. And anything else to talk about on the space heaters or windows before we move on to number three? no all right so the third one is aluminum wiring um now this comes up um why you know tell about because most houses are copper give us the breakdown on aluminum um you know when it was used and why people should or should not be concerned about it
1: so copper wiring will go back into the 60s into the very early part of the 70s um there was a there were there was a copper shortage at the time. And a lot of this was due to the war because they were using copper to make bullets. So they they found a different type of metal material that we could use for wiring. And aluminum just happened to be the next most conductive next to copper at the time. Copper is 98% conductive, where aluminum is only 60% conductive. So the issue that you have with aluminum is when it heats up. So when you put a load on it, it expands when you take that load off of it, it contracts. Okay. So what'll happen is you have you have an outlet and you have a screw. And that wire's wrapped around the screw like this. So when it's heating up, it's actually backing out that screw. And this is how you start to hear about the dangers of, of the aluminum wiring, is that it's, it starts fires. Well, that's because that wire's been loose from the outlet and it's sitting there and it's arcing. Hmm. And once it starts to arc, that's how you get a fire. So, that that's the reason aluminum is really dangerous. We still use aluminum today, but it's a compact aluminum. It's multiple strands. It could be 12 strands and one wire, where 60s, early 70s, it was a solid piece, and that's the one that's going to expand and contract on you.
0: Okay. So, uh, that's a great explanation. So, there is aluminum wiring through the whole house, you know, to uh, the outlet, and that's where it can start pulling away from. So if I'm looking at a house, you know, 1960s, has aluminum wiring, I'm under contract, comes up with an inspection report, like what's what's my next steps? Like how important is it? Is I have to rewire the whole house? It's it's extremely
1: important, but the great thing is you don't have to rewire the whole house. Okay. I mean, it is an option, and it is probably your best option because the next two options, they're, they're only temporarily fixes. It's something you may want to get maybe five, ten years rechecked. So you can purchase a aluminum outlet, which is much cheaper than doing the wire nut or the, the Lumicon deal. Um, I want to say those outlets are like $2 a piece. Um, where say if you take a piece of copper wire and you bond it to the aluminum with the special wire nut, which is a, it's got like a goo inside of it that bonds those two metals because we don't want the two metals fighting each other. We want them to kind of bond to bond to each other. So you want to use either an alumicon or a purple wire nut that has the goo in there to bond, bond those metals together. That would be your next option. There there was some guys that would do, um, they could weld the two metals together, but I I haven't, I've never seen anything like it.
0: seems like that would take a long time, too, from outlet to outlet to yeah. weld them together. Yeah. Um, so, I'm familiar with that second option. You call it the purple knot. I just know, you know, that's that's common. Like, what? Um, you said that lasts, like, 10 years or so? You
1: can get somewhere, you can get
0: anywhere from really
1: 5 to 15 years on them. Okay. Um, I know I've, I've seen seen those purple wire nuts. They've burnt up. They, they can burn up just as well as any other wire nut. It just depends on how you install them. Keep in mind that the wire nut is going to twist those two wires together. You're dealing with a very fragile wire in aluminum where copper is not so fragile. It, you can beat on it. If you twist that wire too much, you will crack it and you potentially create a heat pocket that'll mm. cause that aluminum, that wire nut to burn up on you.
0: Okay. So there's some skill to, to twisting them on there.
1: Yes. it's You don't just want to crank on them.
0: <laughs> so let's just, I mean, I'm just thinking like a typical house, you know, 1500, 2000 square feet, three, four bedrooms, 1960s build. Um, what well, I mean, rough cost difference of rewiring the entire house versus going through and putting uh, the purple wing nuts on all the outlets in there.
1: I would say cost to rewire the house, you're looking somewhere from thirty five to fifty five thousand. Okay. That, that that's all gonna depend on your lighting. Uh, there's so much more into it than just replacing that wiring. So with arc faults and GFI breakers.
0: So I mean so that's a big chunk of money.
1: Big chunk. Where if you did a pigtail, it, it it's not the square footage, it's it's the devices. Because each one of those purple wire nuts basically about three dollars a a wire nut, um, okay, and then you have your device as well. So, I would say on average, I I do them for around forty five hundred, okay, for for a whole house.
0: Typically speaking, like a general, you know, just general house size, typical kind of outlets, yeah, for forty five hundred to five thousand dollars price range. Yeah, okay. I mean, so that is a significant lower cost than rewiring the entire house. I mean, like. Um, I'm imagining most people go with the the less expensive option. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, and, and to go back to even to the aluminum devices, you could get that down to maybe 1500 if you did just the aluminum
0: devices. Oh, okay. And yeah. do most people do aluminum devices or do they do the, the purple wing nuts?
1: N- not too many do the devices because they're they're nervous about them. Okay. And, and I totally get it. I have a couple of investors I've worked with in the past that they, they've they seen them in action, so
0: they're not concerned with them, okay. with, with the device itself. Okay, awesome. So uh, moving on to number four, talking about electrical panels. And I know this is always an interesting topic <laughs> because some panels are you know horrible. You want to get rid of them because they went on business in the 1980s. I am not an expert about them, but I would love to kind of have you walk us through Um, you know, everything from the panel does and to like the ones that, you know what, this, when you see it, just replace it.
1: Yep. (laughs) Let's do it. So I'm going to go down my list here for you. We have a, we have a few that are, that are really bad. You have the Federal Pacific, which is FPE. Um, You also have what is called Zinsko. Um, There is the Pushmatic. And then there is the, the old fuse ones. Like the original electrical panels, like, I mean, almost like Wild West days, they have the little glass windows and you screw a fuse into the panel. Maybe maybe you might have heard the story from your grandfather or your grandmother, how they used to put a penny back behind it. Those panels are no good. And and there's a few reasons why. The wiring that's in that house is rated for a certain, certain amount of amperage. Okay a lot of people just go over to ace hardware Lowell's, home depot and they just buy a fuse and they just screw it in and it's great a lot of times it's 30 amp fuse 25 amp fuse it's only good for 15 amps um there there is no main disconnect where this this becomes crucial you
0: talk about the, the, the old panels like on, the on the on the old fuse stuff okay do you see many of those around denver
1: i do okay now now we got to get into old denver the victorian homes you know capitol hill area okay i mean some of those even some of those like shops still have them okay it's pretty cool to see
0: (laughs) so obviously those um want to replace those what about the other ones? I know, like the uh, the Federal Pacific, the Zinskos, I know those are a lot more commonly the properties that we're buying and looking at.
1: Yeah, so so Federal Pacific, there, there's a couple things that we need to know. Is, is they've lost their UL listing back in 1983, and the reason for that was due to the breakers not tripping. And if a breaker doesn't trip, we're we're basically it's working off of heat. So if that, if the breaker is not tripping when it's supposed to heat, it equals fire. Um, with, with Zinskull, one of the problems with Zinskull was the design of the breaker itself. Uh, it's the breaker has a horseshoe that kind of clips into the busing. So what that, what uh, that creates is if that breaker's loose, you're getting another arc Okay. And what it does is it welds itself to that bus bar. And then when you go to try to replace that breaker and you pull, pull on, pull on that breaker, you're pulling out the entire bus of the panel. If that panel, if that bus is energized and that can is grounded, you're going to have a big boom right in your face.
0: Oh, okay.
1: So the super dangerous on that end FPE it's it's really just a fire hazard um it's but it's super documented i mean it's all over the internet i don't have to i don't have to say anything about you can google it and find all the info you need about about those
0: and what are about uh, the last one you mentioned was pushmatic
1: yeah the old pushmatic panels um it's it's not that the breakers don't trip it's the problem of getting the parts for it so let's say we we have a couple places here in town, Denver Breaker or Mister Breaker, that you can potentially purchase those replacement parts for. If they don't have it in stock, you're going to have to purchase this breaker all the way down in Florida, North Carolina, potentially Washington, and that breaker is going to cost you maybe four five hundred dollars just for that one push breaker.
0: What's the typical breaker cost?
1: Typical breaker cost is five dollars.
0: Oh wow! So like five dollars versus five hundred. Yeah. Okay.
1: I mean, they can get really costly, really quick.
0: Just because supply and demand, just there's only not many people are selling them, and
1: then they're not they're not in business no more. So, what you're purchasing is a is a used breaker that's been refurbished.
0: Okay, interesting. All right, so how um, for the pushmanic Zinsko Federal Pacific, how can people? Are you have any rules of thumb so an investor looks at a panel um, that they can say, "Oh, this type of panel, I know this. This means I need to replace it."
1: So, so you want to look for in the FPE, the Federal Pacific, and, and a lot of times those ones are really documented, um, or, or like this one that you have pulled up on the screen. You just want to look for like an orangish red type of handle, or or the sticker that says like stab lock on it. Um, if it's an outdoor panel, it'll be like stamped into the front cover, okay, and it'll say FPE, and it's like a metal stamp right into it. It's, it's like engraved and then okay zip- so if
0: it's a stab lock on there or Federal Pacific stamped on there
1: yep and right and there. if if some of that stuff's been painted over you just want to look for for those handle ties where it says 20 right there
0: you're talking about on the breakers themselves yep okay and that's that o- like an orange red yep okay huh and then what about and we're pulling some images here and these are all in the uh, the show notes too so I'm, I'm putting on the push push pushmatic pictures you sent over. So on these, oh, i see none of these panels you're talking about. Okay. So these, when you see these pushmatics, is that no one or just go and replace it to avoid like having to, you know, pay a huge yep. amount for a breaker? Yeah.
1: Because the problem with them is, is that the breaker can get stuck when it does trip. Okay. And if it trips and it gets stuck, now, now you're trying to hunt these parts down. It's it's just a pain.
0: What about Zinsco panels here? I'm looking at these. I see red and blue handles on the breakers. It says Zinsco on the sticker. Yep. So these are pretty obvious. it Looks like. Yep. Okay. And so, what's the average like panel replacement cost? Any
1: realistically anywhere from, I'd say, two thousand to thirty five hundred now that that would be based on average like this panel that you have pulled up right here I mean that's something that could be done for around 1200 bucks um yeah that, okay. that one's pretty reasonable because a lot of times like if you're dealing with a house versus say an apartment you know we have to upgrade the grounding system for, for the house Um, we would have to install what they call a bypass meter for the house where if you're doing it at an apartment we're using the the existing grounding we're not changing anything all we're doing is swapping like for like on the panels so you don't have to upgrade any of that grounding so that so those panels are a little bit cheaper than say if you have one for you know 25 3000 square foot home okay because a lot of times i i have a couple right now one in broomfield one in lakewood they're 3000 square foot homes and each one of them have a 125 amp panel on it it's just not big enough for what's being installed in those homes okay so, so we got to upgrade those 200s um, but but yeah I'd, I'd say somewhere from two two to three
0: and then sometimes obviously just you do that other things have to take care of as well and you yep. go up from there Yeah, that gives us a ballpark on there. All right, so if these panels, they come up on a property someone's buying, just replace them. Yep. Be safe and save yourself from parts, part headaches down the road as well. Yes. Okay, and then number five on here, um, the tip number five is lighting. And you said in your notes, this is your personal favorite. So I'm very eager to hear about this because if this is your favorite, I wanna know
1: why. So so there's a few reasons, Chris. So uh, I'm kind of a tall guy you know, six, six, two without my boots. I put my boots on. I'm six foot three. Now, if we walk into, let's say, let's just say an apartment or, or say an older home that has an eight foot ceiling. Okay. I can instantly palm that, put my hand to the bottom of it, but here's this chandelier. That's just banging me right in my nose as I walk through the dining room. So you must
0: love the basements in Denver, then, huh?
1: No, I'm not a big, <laughs>
0: huge fan of them,
1: <laughs> but what one of the things I like is I personally like to feel small. you know I, I want to feel like I'm short just one day, just one day I'd love to feel short. So if we get rid of those old globe fixtures that that are just hanging from the ceiling that hang you know what six inches off the yep. ceiling, if if you have can lights right there or or what I, I like to call little flippies in they they're flat panel type of light that instantly raises your ceiling and you don't even Flippies, know
0: it was that like a like an led square or i mean i don't know what a flippy is
1: so so the the little flip piece piece on them they attach to the drywall so it's not a traditional can yeah
0: because a can lights you have to cut a hole in there uh put it up in there so i
1: put that old like coffee can up yeah. inside there and wire into it not you don't have to do that today I mean, they, they make a panel that, that's about a little less than half an inch, okay And it has a little box that's about three inches by three inches, and you just wire right into that box and connect the wire to your, I call it flippy, <laughs> but that's because of those little drywall pieces that it cl- clips onto. and it's just a panel light. but it looks like a can- it looks like a traditional can light, but it instantly raises your ceiling.
0: I'm gonna say plus with those, I'm I'm intrigued by this. Um, it sounds like it's a easier installation, less drywall damage than doing a can light.
1: I mean, you still have to cut the hole, yeah. But labor material wise, those things oh, oh drastically cheaper, drastically. Oh. Huh. I mean, we you used to purchase a remodel can for eighteen dollars. Okay, the bulbs, the the LED bulbs now at Home Depot or even Lowell's are $35 for a four-pack, okay? I can get you those same lights, four of them, for $28. Oh, wow. Less than the cost of the bulbs at Home Depot. And you don't have to purchase four $18 cans plus that four-pack of lights. Dras- drastically cheaper.
0: Hmm. okay. And,
1: and, I mean, again, it, to me, it raises the ceiling. Yeah. We're, we're not bumping into it. So, if you... You have like a smaller person walk in you got eight foot ceilings your ceilings now feel like nine foot if you have nine foot ceilings they now feel like 10 foot ceilings yeah you know and, and for me lighting jobs are they're fun man it's like my picasso you know it's it's a free canvas it's blank i can paint anything up there i want
0: i like how passionate about it. this is fun so all right. So I mean, we all know there's a ton of rooms and houses, you know, shorter ceilings around town, whether it's a, a Denver basement or just, you know, uh, uh, an eight foot ceiling with a you know one foot chandelier or big globe lights on there. Um, you know, sometimes rooms with no lights in the ceiling up there. A lot of condos and houses have that as well. So when someone says, hey, I need help on here. What's your general recommendations? And I mean, what are some ballpark costs again for just like rental property? We're not talking, you know, we're not talking high end luxury stuff, but you know, good property. Put out a nice product, update it, make it modern. Get the lighting in there because it does have a big impact. Like, how do you go about designing that, and while also balancing out that, hey, we got to, you know, we're, we're balancing out for rental property.
1: So with <clears throat> Let's, I'm just going to use the, these flippies as, as an idea, and, and that's the, the newer can light. Um, depending on the size of the room, you know, the way we used to measure lighting was from, from an old can in the baffle to the floor. If you had an eight-foot ceiling, by the time that light hit the floor, you were going to have some somewhere from six to eight, eight feet of light on the floor. Okay. Okay. With these panel lights now, <clears throat> that's not that's not the case. They spread that light out almost as like an old fluorescent shop light would. Hmm. So you don't have to install six in a living room. You could potentially get away with just four. So for an investment point, you're not looking at that much time or material for labor or parts if you just do the four. Um, bedrooms depending on the size of the bedroom, you may only need two. You don't have to do the four one in each corner. Okay. You know, depending on where your closet is and everything. You, you know, if you got a bigger closet, maybe put one in the closet or you know, something something like that. But you you don't have to put in as many as you used to think you would have to.
0: Okay.
1: Like need to get optimal lighting.
0: And so what's coming just general ballpark costs for just, you know, installed like, you know, you know, for a flippy or for a can light? Because you know, a lot of terms, yeah, they put 4 to 6 in there. What's the general like cost if you break it down on that?
1: So, anywhere from from 159 to 189 for one can light. Okay. That's parts, labor, material, and wire. If you did if you do a flippy, you're looking somewhere around 85 bucks.
0: Oh wow, so it's significantly less than. Yeah. You know, okay. Um now, with the flippy, because I know like I've had, you know, I've had cam lights installed and uh, when I remodeled the house and that, you know, required some texturing and painting afterwards on the drywall, because those are, you know, those are pretty big holes to cut out there. These flippies, it sounds like it's less damage for oh. have to paint afterwards.
1: No. So,
0: well, I Cause mean... that's the other side of the cost for the cam lights is it's your job and then either me or I got to hire someone else to come and do some painting.
1: I mean, as an electrician, I'm only as good as my tools are, Yeah, you know? So I I have all the special tools. I I have the drywall catcher where we put, I I like to use a certain type of hole saw. It's a solid metal hole saw. That's going to go right through your drywall. It's not going to skip. It's not going to bounce. It's going to make a nice clean hole. And I have that drywall catcher to catch everything. Now, as a professional and going into someone's house, I need to clean up my mess. So I'm going to wipe down your, wipe down your ceiling. And it, it doesn't matter what i land on i could you could have a stud right in the middle of that that hole my little flippy fits right there really i don't need to we're not cutting no studs we're not getting nothing patched wherever i land i can put that light okay which is awesome
0: yeah <laughs> i'm i i'm am have to talk to you after this about getting some of my house potentially because there's some uh rooms that the drive us nuts. Right. <laughs> um, all right. So what else about, about lighting? Like, I, I know I kind of got very intrigued with the the flipping light, the flippy lights there. What are other recommendations for just, um, you know, having lighting in there to make the room feel bigger and just, you know, add that better ambience to make the, the property feel more, more modern. Anything else besides doing the canned or flippy lights?
1: I mean, you could go with modern lights. I mean, you can find some pretty inexpensive ways on Amazon to to find find those lights. I mean, you you, you get what you pay for, really. I mean, if you want a quality fixture, you you want to go to a quality store. Um, some of the stuff on Amazon, it some of it's great and some of it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I do do look for the most is if you have a multifamily property, say with a parking lot, you know there's some safety concerns here you mm-hmm. want to make sure that that place is well lit um my my fiance, she's a property manager for for apartment complex here in town and she she has a lot of break-ins you know people st- stealing catalytic converters um oh, yeah. and, and there there's some other problems out there that that you really need a well-lit place because because you have families living in these properties mm-hmm. with small children um well lit parking lots that is it's the best thing for for your property. Yeah.
0: Great. All right. So five things. These are all great stuff. I learned a lot. So thank you, Lance. Hope our listeners did as well. Um, I know that you probably drummed up some questions on people that people reach out to you. So I want to make sure we mention it. What's a great way for people to get a hold of you to, you know, get your help on, you know, a project or whatever? Yeah,
1: they, they can call me. Um, they can call my direct phone number, 720-272-2562. Um, they can text me. Uh, they can email me at services at gmail.com. And it's all one word. Okay. Very, very long email, <laughs>
0: yeah. and we'll put all that in the show notes too for the right. people, so they can just go there and, and click it and let their iPhone do it. Um, now, something else that I think is really interesting when you and I uh, were chatting at the uh, book launch party back in July or June, whatever it was. You were telling me about um, a like a bike. Christmas or a bike driver doing for Christmas and I know you're you're planning it and we wanted to get some momentum around it so tell us what, what you're up to because it sounds really cool
1: yes so so we we really want to thrive to give back to to the community you know the, the places that we work the places that we live and and I tend to see a lot of a lot of bad situations with with the either homeowners or tenants I mean I, I go into all these properties and and I I just want to give back. You know, I I get my kids. They they ha, they ha, they're fortunate. They get a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, so so we want to give back. We, we'd like to give out ten bikes to ten different families. We also want to do uh, Christmas presents uh, up to three hundred dollars for six different families for for their children, and, and and we understand that it's tough times right now. You know, and we just we we want to help help out.
0: I like it. So what is a way people can contribute or get involved? Just reach out to you or.
1: Yeah. If they can reach out to me, if, if, if they have a, uh, you know, if, if they want to donate or be a part of it, that's totally, that's totally fine. If they want to, uh, you know, send us some families, re- re- even if it's one of your own personal tenants, you know, yeah. if, if you're helping them out with rent and Hey man, we're, that, that that's what we're doing this for. All
0: right. So that's great. Um, and yeah, actually, before we were, uh, you know, hit recording the podcast here, you were, we were just talking, you know, how, how's life, how's business going? And you mentioned you were looking for, I think, a couple people to hire. So, I mean, throw it out there and tell little people about the, the culture and what the uh, positions you're always... You're, always, you're looking to hire for
1: yeah yeah we're always looking to add more more to the team um re- realistically we, we we really want some service electricians guys that that know service um, even if you don't know it we're willing to teach it um you just got to be you got to be willing and able to be a team member and take that take it on um, we're, we're always looking for help whether if it's apprentices the apprenticeship programs awesome because we pay for your schooling um it, it, it's it's really, really
0: awesome. All right. All right. Well, we'll make sure all the contact details to reach out to you, Lance, are in the show notes. And of course, if people have trouble finding that, email me. I'll connect you guys, no problem. I mean, Lance has done some work on my properties, been happy with it, I work on our clients' properties. And um, you know, the way I always one of the measures I always look at, you know, other businesses professionals is I never expect a job to be perfect because no one is perfect. It's, but how do you make things right when, you know what, something just didn't go right, whether it's just, hey, it's your own fault or a situational fault, but how do you make it right? Uh, and there have been things, you know, with, hey, uh, inspection items, Lance has come out and fixed it. Something came up with Excel or something later. And guess what? Lance is out there the day, the day after our clients have called them. And I've always respected the way that you've, handle the follow-up problems because there always will be problems in any business, in any situation. There's always something that does not go right. I always like to look at how people take care of it. And you've always responded back and take care of things. So I respect that about you, Lance.
1: Right on. Thank you.
0: All right. Well, everyone listening and watching, thank you guys. Reach out to Lance. He and his company does great work.